Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow underway on this Monday edition. Hope everyone had a great weekend. College football has returned. The NFL just around the corner. And we are here for it. Sixth and Peabody with E.A. Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Bobby Carpenter will join us to talk college football in about 20 minutes. Looking forward to that. Michelle Tafoya, a longtime Sunday night and Monday night football sideline reporter. Now the host of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. She's with us in an hour, plus Timmy B, Tim Brando, later in the program. Chad, good afternoon. Hutton, it's like we never left. It's like we parted ways, and then a few hours later, we showed back up, and we're right here, ready to bang hats on a Monday. I, for one, am thrilled, because week zero of college football, while not all that exciting, gave us a little bit of an appetizer of what's to come. Yeah. And now, starting this week, we will have football every weekend – between now and February. So that deserves a round of applause. Yes, it does. We it's made like it through the desert. Left. Congratulations, everyone. If you're here right now with us, it means you made it. I am pumped up. We got a great Thursday night slate of games. We have some games on Friday. And then a full weekend of college football. And then it's the one weekend where college football has a spotlight. And then the following week, we get college and NFL together. And it's going to be that way now for the next three to four months. Exciting times. Football has dominated, and now we get the games back as well. Exciting times. We start in the NFL with our top headlines coming out of the weekend uh, here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, and it starts with the trade. The 49ers trading Trey Lance on Friday to the Dallas Cowboys in exchange for a fourth-round pick. Uh, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan admitting that offer blew them away compared to the other offers that they were getting in exchange for the former number 3 overall selection in the 2020 draft, they end up with a situation of Brock Purdy, which they're very fortunate for. He's the unquestioned starter. Sam Darnold, now journeyman, is the backup who beats out Trey Lance. And Chad, Trey Lance ends up going as the third quarterback in San Francisco, now the third quarterback in Dallas, at least for the time being, for the foreseeable future as Cooper Rush backs up Dak Prescott, who has two years left on his contract uh, down in Big D. Uh, I'm surprised that Dallas was in the mix here. Dallas, it, going back to the draft coverage, they admitted they had a fourth, excuse me, a second-round grade on Lance. Shanahan, the quarterback whisperer, signs off on a massive trade, three first-round picks and a third-round future fourth round to move up. Huge bust. And now a fresh start for Trey Lance in Dallas after not getting much of a start in San Francisco. Just eight games played for the 49ers for what was supposed to be the future star quarterback of the franchise. Had a second-round grade on him. But Kyle Shanahan, who knows offensive football, should know the quarterback position pretty well, clearly had a first-round grade on him with that trade to move up and get Trey Lance. But what Kyle Shanahan is telling you is he's not good enough to pass Brock Purdy or Sam Darnold on the depth chart, so way below a first or second ground grade on what they've actually seen from him. 
So when do draft grades go out the window based on what others are seeing? And how do you trust your evaluation over that of others that have been around Trey Lance every day for a couple of years now? Entrusted the, the team with him to start last year. Then he gets hurt. Then he comes back after Brock Purdy inherits the team and does a better job with that team. And then he can't even break through third string, but you give up a fourth-round pick for him. This is a head-scratcher of a move from Jerry Jones. And I love Jerry Jones, but any criticism of Jerry Jones as the GM, this would be the type of move where you criticize Jerry Jones, the GM, in going after a name, and the reasoning being that they had a second-round grade on him when he came out of the draft. Well, time has shown he's not even a second-rounder in the league. So it may work out. He may be the heir apparent to Dak Prescott in Dallas. Jerry Jones is saying that's not the case. Full belief still remains with Dak Prescott. I don't like this move for the Cowboys. I think fourth round pick Hutton was too high to give up for Trey Lance, who San Francisco had clearly moved on from. Well, fourth round quarterbacks generally flame out anyway, uh, for the most part. And as far as like uh, having seen enough, I haven't seen enough from Trey Lance on the field. The guy has a total of 420 pass attempts in college and the NFL combined. 318 of those attempts came in college. Yeah, I mean, he's barely played. And now they end up with a QB that's not Will Greer as their third-string quarterback behind Cooper Rush currently. This is a move and a roll of the dice, but any fourth-round quarterback would have been. And you get to see what Mike McCarthy thinks of it behind the scenes now, too. Um I think it's pretty obvious that whenever they informed Lance that he was the third string, he wanted out. And this deal happens right before the preseason game where they were going to play the guy. They were informing Lance and his crew and the team he was going to play behind Sam Darnold in Friday night's preseason game. Didn't happen because the deal was struck. And then the Cowboys went ahead and told Greer, hey, we're cutting you after the game, but you're going to play the entire game so you can get the uh, the option of debuting and you have a job interview for the rest of the league, and he ends up balling out in that game for Dallas uh, ahead of the game where he knew he wasn't going to be on the roster in the locker room post game. If he can't go and win a backup job and be the backup quarterback for the Cowboys, this is one of the all-time scout-slash-media creation quarterback stories in the history of football based on a lack of really any production or hutting the stats you just laid out there. The guy hasn't played football that much. I know. And yet he was created into this can't-miss rising star prospect that the San Francisco 49ers, who are an extremely smart organization, were duped into trading half of their franchise away for to move up and get. One of the worst trades in the history of the NFL. We've already seen that bear out based on what they just got in return for dealing him and getting no production out of him. And now the 49ers are fine because they've done so well around him with guys who have over-delivered on what they did. But what a complete bust. And if he can't beat Cooper Rush for the backup spot in Dallas, this will go down as one of the crazier, overhyped stories of all time. We love having Ryan Leaf on this show. Ryan Leaf was super productive in college. At least with Ryan Leaf, you saw a guy who got Washington State to the Rose Bowl as the quarterback almost single-handedly. So while he was a bust and will be the first to tell you that, at least he did something in college. What has Trey Lance done? He was forced to sit out due to COVID. Yeah. The year before that, he was really good. 
Uh, but to your point, Brock Purdy. He's done nothing, though. I mean, he's had well, one good year. Yeah, but then forced to sit out after one game of the 2020 season prior to the draft. Uh, and, and Chad, Brock Purdy combined NFL and college pass attempts, 1,600 of those. Sam Darnold, 2,600. And the third string in San Francisco, 420 total. Um, and they, they send him packing before you even really get a glance at who he is. And they've seen enough. That, that to me, is the, the biggest message sent, is that Shanahan and Lynch made this move now, cutting their ties. Normally, you string this out, right? And the, the big save, saving grace in all of this, you normally have to pay for your sins. They get Brock Purdy as the starter. And they have him as Mr. Irrelevant, replacing the starter who was supposed to be Mr. Franchise. Yeah, there are plenty of examples of guys who put up incredible numbers and were uber productive in college that turned out to be nothing in the NFL to point to on the flip side of this. I just always abide by the what did they do on the field first. I'd like to see that over potential. Now, there's a balance. You know, there's a scale. There's something you have to strike between potential physically and what you've seen and production in college. I just think he got way out of whack with Trey Lance, and that's proving to be true. But now he gets a new opportunity. A new offense, new, new scenery, new setting, no pressure, right? It's Dak Prescott's team you're stepping into. So maybe he can reinvent himself and become Dak Prescott's backup and end up being a starter in the league. Now is his chance to prove that. Jimmy G was the starter whenever Lance was drafted by San Francisco. He's now in Las Vegas with the Raiders. And he has the best player in the backfield uh, for their offense back. So they have Adams on the outside. Now they have Josh Jacobs back in the mix. He's agreed to return. Uh, Funny how the deadline of training camp, no deadline really, but training camp ends. Regular season's about to kick off in, what, 13 days. And Josh Jacobs gets a very similar deal that Saquon Barkley received about five to six weeks ago. Uh, where they tack on a little bit more money up front. There's still no guarantee that he won't be tagged after this season. And Josh Jacobs getting about $11 million and some some change with that in exchange for coming back and playing for the Las Vegas Raiders on this one-year contract and what's a reworked franchise tag under the 2023 season. Chad, it's uh, it's where they are in the landscape of running backs in the league. There are eight players at the position that make more than 10. Josh Jacobs is one of them. He had to sign this, and in doing so, he didn't go through camp. Now he's in the mix as the regular season begins. The Raiders will kick off against the Broncos on September 10th. Really interested to see how productive Josh Jacobs is right out of the gates because this is a position typically where guys go to camp, they play a little bit in the preseason, or at least they play a lot in practice, and they get their legs under them because it is one where you're going to take a beating throughout the regular season. So how is he right out of the gates? Is there a possibility for injury early on because he hasn't been there for camp? I don't know. It, it, is, it does show just what the Giants and Raiders specifically think about these guys, that they really deal with them at all on this level when they're disgruntled. I mean, they didn't get everything they wanted, but they got something. Well, Saquon Barkley yeah. and, and Josh Jacobs, and they Jacobs got something. And Jacobs didn't go to camp. Yeah, and it... Could have very easily, they just said, well, look, we're going to get fined if you don't show up, Well, they couldn't find him. They they could not find him because he was not technically on a contract. He didn't sign his tag. Well, they could call the bluff, right, and and say, you know, sit out if you want. Point being, 
they at least acknowledge these guys are really damn good football players. They, so we need to negotiate with them and give them something to get them here, even if they're going to miss all of camp in the case Josh of Josh McDaniels Jacobs. needs to win. Yeah. You know, and, and Jimmy Garoppolo is not Jimmy G without a run game. Yeah. And that's my point for all the talk about you're interchangeable. We're going to go get a fourth or fifth round pick next year. These guys, while they're in their prime and you're using them up yes. and getting all the tread off the that's tires it. are really good and really important for the teams. And, that's all that the running backs are saying is while we're here and while you're using us up and we're getting all this mileage, we help win. We affect winning. So pay us as such. It's probably not going to happen, but at least there's small little victories here and there, tiny victories for Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and big victories for the Giants and Raiders because they get two guys who are going to help them win. Victor Hovland wins uh, wins the FedEx Cup, and he's uh, the rare double champ with the B&W Championship and winning the FedEx Cup. He makes about $21 million, a little bit more than that, uh, $18 million of that coming through, hoisting the trophy that you see, the, the FedEx Cup. Uh, three wins in his last eight starts. Shoffley tried to close the gap here where he hit birdie, he was within three, and Hovland had a, a, a chance at a par, 23-foot putt on 14. If he misses, that window narrows, and we've got quite the finish. Instead, he nails the putt, drains it, and ends up winning the trophy. And $21 not bad. Um, And great way to finish the season, too. Three wins in his last eight. And what's been a, a very entertaining PGA Tour season, to say the least. No doubt about it. When you think about all the things that have happened this year, and even off the course uh, with Liv and PGA and the drama about the merger and all of that, you've had some personalities and stars rise throughout the season. Victor Hovland's one of them. I think a guy that internationally is, is going to be very good for the game for years to come. I want to get more into the FedEx Cup. I, I want to care more about the outcome of this other than just the, the amazing amount of money being made at the end of it with that $21 million figure. Golf, to me, is still very much a major championship event. It's a four-weekend out of the year. You are glued to your couch, glued to a leaderboard, seeing what's happening. And on those Sundays, you're watching those final rounds. I I want the FedEx Cup to mean more. I think it's gaining that momentum. I'm just not there yet in terms of being all in on who's going to win the FedEx championship. Well, it's also the time of year, too. Right. You know, you're gearing up for what's happening on the gridiron more than you are well, I wonder what Sunday afternoon championship is currently being played as background noise as you take your nap. Now, the good news is they do it the week before, you know, Labor yeah. Day, the college football hit. So that Sunday, at least, is pretty vacant for people to watch that event. But yeah, I'm with you. I think the Ryder Cup is one of the most fun events going, but it kind of gets lost in the shuffle because it's taking place over football weekends in the fall. And uh, you're, you're going back and forth. It's such a change of pace on a college football Saturday yeah, or NFL is. Sunday where you're trying to watch and keep up with Different the Ryder vibes. Cup. And then you're watching, you know, Cowboys Giants on, on Fox, and then going back and forth. It's hard for me to keep my attention span on golf for more than a commercial break when football's going on. Uh, same could be said for some of the blowouts we saw in week zero of college football, but because there's nothing head-to-head with it for the most part, I stuck with that Notre Dame game. Uh, that Very impressive over Navy. Meanwhile, uh, Southern Cal. Uh, USC, you've got uh, the reigning Heisman champ with uh, Heisman Trophy winner with Caleb Williams, who looked good. Defense did not 
52-23 doesn't tell the score in their win over San Jose State. Uh, but the marquee matchups at the top of the list for Week 0, USC and Notre Dame roll on the scoreboard. Yeah, I thought uh, – I want to talk a little bit more about it later. I thought Notre Dame looked really good. They did. Um, I, I don't know what Navy is. Navy looked pretty bad. Uh, I was reading a scouting report about Navy – uh, I think in the Athlon Sports preview, watching that game, and there was an opposing coach. I love the opposing coach scouting reports where it's anonymous, and they, they summed up Navy like this. They said, when they have a dynamic quarterback running that triple option, they can beat anyone and are dangerous. When they don't, you don't have to scout them. It's a two- or three-win team. That Navy team looked like maybe a three- or four-win team with their quarterback situation this year and bringing in a new coach and Kenny Amatololo being gone after 16 uh, really successful seasons. But um, Notre Dame looked good. USC's defense? More of the same. Four letters. S-O-F-T. Soft. It's a one-score game. They look soft once again, and that's going to be what's going to – that's going to hurt them. Bobby Carpenter is next. More college football discussion. Headed your way on Hotline with Hunter Withrow. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back, and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless, from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Monday edition, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Bobby Carpenter will be with us momentarily. Michelle Tafoya coming up in about 40 minutes, plus Timmy B, Tim Brando uh, joins us a bit later in the show. Tons of football discussion today on the program. Uh, Chad, depth charts. For the first time since 2007, Nick Saban not releasing one for the Crimson Tide. Saying, hey, uh, sorry, we just don't have one today uh, to the media. And, of course, everyone's curious about the quarterback <laughs> situation. But aside from that, uh, you know, he's always, been a, a, he's always been a grouch when it comes to the depth chart. But they've always done it. And now it's just like, uh, well, we'll find out whenever we play Middle Tennessee State this Saturday under the lights at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Get ready for these quotes, Hutton, from Nick Saban on depth charts. He does apologize to the media for not giving them a depth chart. He says, uh, a formal list of starters and backups creates a lot of distractions. And quite frankly, you know, we don't need that. I want all of our players to continue to compete, continue to compete for playing time to try to play at the highest level. And I don't want anybody on our team to think they're a backup player or whatever. 
We're going one day at a time. We're repping the players. I don't want anyone on my team to think they're a backup player or whatever. I mean, this sounds like participation trophy material from Nick Saban. I, I don't want to offend any of our players to that. They think that they're going to be a backup. But then he goes on to say later, but, you know, guys kind of know who the starters are. They, they know their yeah, role they in the know team. The, they know how they roll in right now. into so, the practice. They know if they're a backup or not. What's the point? What's the point? Well, what's, uh, what's the... You're going to know the depth chart as they roll out against MTSU on Saturday. It's not like they're playing LSU to open the season. You're going to, and they're going to rotate quarterbacks in too. But you'll know who starts the game. I just wish at this point Nick Saban, who does whatever he wants ultimately, instead of saying it creates a lot of distractions, we don't need that, I want our players to continue to compete for playing time, which, uh, duh, they're doing that anyways right. within your program that you've built over time to be a juggernaut, I'd rather them just come out and say, you know what, I didn't give you one because I don't want to do it anymore. I'm bored with them, I'm tired of it, and I don't have to. So until the SEC tells me I have to, I'm not doing it. Uh, questions to anyone out there that wants to ask about We're going to dress every player out. I mean, come on. Bobby Carpenter joins us. Uh, college football's back. Can't wait for this weekend, man. How are you? I am good, man. Uh, you know, we had a little bit, a little taste. Here last yeah. weekend, Notre Dame across the pond. Get to watch USC's defense look tremendous as it has <laughs> the last couple of seasons. So, uh, you know, it's a nice little warm up, if you will. But, you know, diving in, I was listening to you guys talk about, you know, saving in the depth chart. And, you know, the Big Ten, Tony Petiti just came out and they're going to issue an injury report and everything before the game. And I hope, and I think there's a, a mutual respect between him and Greg Sankey. I, I hope that that's something that the SEC does as well because. You know, as we've seen gambling scandals, you know, happen at a number of schools, some players, some coaches. And this goes into the depth chart piece. I mean, all these coaches in college, they love the secrecy of everything. And I think if everybody's forced to do it, then nobody can really complain. And I want to even say Brian Kelly said he's going to put out his you know, injury report and, you know, pregame report and all that stuff. Just, I think, to kind of take the, the onus off some of the players. But I get what Nick's saying, like, yeah, I want everybody to compete for jobs. But at the same sense, like guys are out there on practice. They know who's getting the best reps. They know who's playing the most. They know who they're going with. So they see all that anyway. Amen, Bobby. And the Big Ten is being more of a leader on this. I hope the SEC follows uh, with injury reports as well. Brian I, I Kelly's do doing important. it individually. Yeah, that's what that, Bobby just mentioned, yeah, Brian but, Kelly doing that. I wish it was a rule for SEC, much like it's going to be a rule for Big Ten, according to Tony Petiti. Um, what's the rule on getting excited about blowout wins over Navy in Dublin, Ireland? Because I watched that performance by Notre Dame. They look pretty, pretty stout, especially defensively holding uh, Navy to 2.9 yards per carry. So you know, this is the first full season, I believe, uh, you know, in the post-Ken Niamatololo era. And so Navy obviously isn't as good as they've been in the years where they won in 9, 10, 11 games. Um, and, but I will say this, Sam Hartman is a good quarterback and people were kind of wondering, would his ability travel? You know, I, I, he was in that slow read offense at Wake Forest. It was kind of a unique element, but you'll look at what he had done over the last couple seasons, over 75 touchdown passes, you know, around 20, 25 picks thrown for a bevy of yards. And now he's at the bright lights of Notre Dame. It's not Wake Forest anymore. This is a much bigger stage. And in all fairness, Wake Forest may have had better perimeter weapons than Notre Dame currently has. And so while maybe, yeah, they're not the elite defense that you're going to see 
here in a couple of weeks, you know, from Ohio State, heck, even NC State, and they've got Clemson, they've got USC, which more of an offensive battle than defense. But, you know, with that being said, I think it's proven you have the quarterback now that can push the ball to the perimeter. The question is, will you have those receivers if you're Notre Dame that are able to win one-on-one? You know they'll have a good running game. They've got a good offensive line. They always seem to have very stout tight ends. But how solid is that perimeter play going to be from the receivers? Will those guys be able to take advantage of a more accurate quarterback that can push the ball outside the numbers down the field and be able to go make those plays? Bobby Carpenter with us. How difficult is it to get a read on teams the first couple of weeks as Bama will face Middle Tennessee State? We see a blowout there in Dublin. US, USC, you mentioned their defense. Uh, Chad mentioned previous segment, soft. But they blow out, end up blowing out San Jose State because of their offense. Point being, what what can you figure out as you watch these games over the over the course of the the kickoff? Well, I think you can see you know different pieces like Notre Dame. I can't sit there and tell you that you know they're terrific, but I, I did see things from them that I haven't seen before, and so I think that that's what you can look at and kind of find in some of these early games. But it's really hard, guys, like you said, to get a bead on college football for the first three or four weeks because. You have no idea the relative competition that they're playing. And, you know, last year, that LSU-Florida State game, right? okay, these teams are are two squads that look like they could be pretty good. And, you know, Florida State obviously made a big jump last year, and I don't think anybody thought Brian Kelly would be as good as they were in year one. But we're watching that game thinking, ah, those are two probably pretty good teams. And that turned out to be probably one of the best games between two of the best teams that you were going to find on a non-conference level. And so it's really tough to kind of figure that out. And usually by week six or seven, we look back and say, ah, you know, they, they won that game. Or they lost that game. And we made a big deal of it at the time. But now looking through the prism of history, you know, maybe there were some injuries or some other things that happened, or maybe it was just a function of the fact that we, we overrated them a little bit and they weren't maybe quite as good as we thought. We thought they'd develop here. They develop there. And everybody acts like it's always easy to project when you lose a couple starters, you know, on offense or defense. And yeah, you just reload. Reload's an easy term, an easy tool, but there is an experience piece. There is something else that comes to that. And it can be very, very difficult. You know, if you're watching, um, I'm looking at Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State opens up uh, with a Big Ten opponent. In Indiana, they're a 30-point favorite. Michigan has a soft schedule early on. When you're watching the good teams, top five, top 10, top 15s in America, play lesser opponents, Bobby, how much time are you spending watching line play? Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm watching Vandy, Hawaii, Saturday night, and the only thing that really concerns me about that game, if one watching Vandy, is they couldn't block Hawaii, and they couldn't get to the quarterback unless they sent seven or eight guys. They couldn't get with a normal pass rush. How much is that something you can take away, how you bully the other team when it's a lesser opponent at the line of scrimmage? So usually when you're playing a lesser opponent, and this may even be a power five team that's more towards the back of their conference or a group of five school, usually the two reasons why the group of five school isn't able to compete over the duration of a game is going to be depth. And then, like you said, it's going to be trench play. They can have a couple of good skill players here or there, but the ability for them to rotate at a high level is going to be tough. And then also that line play, it's really hard to develop elite offensive linemen and to get five of them to be able to go out there and play. So you should be able to, as a bigger school, you're rotating six to nine, 10, maybe even defensive linemen that should be able to go 
get after those guys. The same thing is going to be true conversely. I mean, you should have a big, physical, powerful offensive line, guys that maybe weren't projects because it's smaller schools. It takes a little bit of time. You may draft a guy or recruit a guy who's you know, a little bit slower, maybe not quite as big. Maybe he's a little thin. You need to add some weight. And so it takes time to work on those guys and get the technique and get them to the size. And some of those guys are going to have to play early on. And so if you're Vanderbilt, yeah, that's a concern. You should be able to bash Hawaii down the field. If nothing else, you know, punch holes in them and be able to go pick up three, four, and maybe even in the second half, five and six yards. And when that doesn't happen, then you're like, okay, well, we're going to go back to the drawing board because we should be able to get a two-yard surge each and every play, notwithstanding some blitzes. And there's times where teams guess right. But you should be able to get those big pushes. I, I look back. Ohio State, I want to say in 2013, played Buffalo. They had a guy on the defensive end by the name Khalil Mack, and we had heard a lot about him. And I'm like, all right, you're going to begin to overwhelm these guys. Well, Khalil Mack had a, you know, two sacks, an interception for a touchdown, all this stuff. I'm like, okay, the guy he's going against is pretty darn good. I'm going to hope this guy ends up being great. And occasionally they have one guy like that, but you just double him and then you can run around him. Very few teams at a group of five level are going to have you know, an all-pro pass rusher that's lining up out there. Bobby, is this the weekend where all of the offseason talk meets reality for Colorado as they take on TCU, or are you expecting maybe a, a, a more interesting game than I am? You know, I, I think there's so much player turnover there. I think there's 86 new players, like yeah. 56 transfers, crazy numbers. So maybe they are able to put it all together. I look at this for Dion. I mean, if he can somehow get the five – dare I say, six wins and be bowl eligible, that's a huge win. You're talking about a team who, yeah, they lost Max Duggins. They've lost some pieces. They've lost a lot of talent. But TCU also has a culture, and there's an expectation to win. And Sonny Dykes has done a good job there. Job there. They've lost their OC, you know, and Kendall Browns. But they're, they're still – or no, he just came in, actually, from Arkansas. So they've got, you know, some good pieces there. But they should be able to just overwhelm Colorado – really with a lot of their depth and their culture and the fact that these guys have been to the mountaintop and they know what it looks like. Sunday at noon Eastern, one of three games on Sunday, Northwestern at Rutgers. Bobby, how interested are you to see Northwestern and their response to everything that's transpired this offseason in their first game in a winnable game where they're less than a touchdown underdog on the road at Rutgers? We'll find out a lot about Northwestern and how their guys are handling that. And I think, honestly, you're, you should be able to find out more about Rutgers. You know, Greg Sean has been there now for a couple of years. He should be building a program. Northwestern, obviously, has had a lot of issues this offseason. And then with that, they've had departure of players. And so they're not as deep as they've been. Guys have transferred out. You know, your head coach is no longer there. And so I'm as much as I'm looking at Northwestern, if Rutgers is made – strides you should be able to see those strides in this game because they should be a better program at this point and probably given everything that's happened probably a 10 to 14 better point better program finally you have the same feel for utah florida as we had a year ago it was wild as i figured who i was talking to and someone thought that florida would win that game and I, it's amazing that they won it last year we'll, we'll see how it transpires I mean, you're talking about a team that's won two back-to-back you know, Pac-12 championships, Cam Rising's back, assuming he's healthy. And that's it's a big assumption. I don't know how that's going to shake out. But if he plays in that game, I would think 
that, you know, being up there, the home field environment, that should be enough for Utah to be able to win this game. Florida's going to have some talent, but they're still probably a year or two away from competing at a high level in the SEC. Yeah, it was a, it's what, a point and a half last year. DraftKings has it as a six and a half point spread this year at Utah. Again, uh, interesting there for sure. And uh, Florida State LSU, very, very much uh, is one to watch just based on what's on the line there for what it could mean for both programs down the line when we're debating who's in the playoff in December. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good one. And honestly, I don't think as long as that's not a blowout, and I don't think it will be, it's not going to eliminate either team. Now, it'll make right. the pathway more difficult because that's probably your one loss. But I think if you win that game, man, it's going to be a huge boost. And the, that team, I would imagine, will probably end up getting the CFP, getting into the CFP. Because even if that's LSU and maybe they don't beat Georgia, you're telling me that you're going to leave a team like that who has a non-conference win and played that like that in the SEC West. I, I would anticipate the the winner of that game will get into the college football playoff. LSU two and a half, by the way, there. Bobby, always great. We look forward to uh, this chat each and every Monday. And now that it's football season, a lot to discuss next week. Always a pleasure, guys. Have a great week. There's Bobby, Bobby Carpenter, Sirius XM host. Channel 84 is where you can find him. Uh, college football analyst for us as well. A wonderful guest and uh, certainly knows the hype that goes into week one. Although the Buckeyes, you mentioned they do have a conference game. but Buckeyes, Indiana. Buckeyes and Wolverines. Got to wait a while to see some solid matchups on the Thanksgiving's field. Thanksgiving's a long time away. If, if for it those does happen, it'll be up. a surprise, right? Ohio State, Notre Dame, late September could be an absolute war in South Bend. That's one I've got circled. I know a lot of other people do as well. Coming up, we will uh, take a glance at week zero, the weekend that was, compare it to how we put our money where our mouth was on Friday. That's next. Plus, a self-imposed bowl ban for Arizona State. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Michelle Tafoya will join us in 20 minutes. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network, which includes our channel on YouTube. Just search out Outkick there. We hope you'll subscribe while you're there. You can check out all the great shows, programs, clips, and more. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow on demand. And you can join Chad in the chat as well. Pound the like button and chat away. Smash that like button. That's right. Smash it. Chad, I was liking the parlay that we placed on DraftKings over the weekend. I was loving it uh, up for... until about 11.15 Central Time yeah. Saturday night. If you haven't uh, done like we've done and taken your shot with DraftKings Sportsbook, now is the perfect moment. Here's why. If you're a first-time user of DraftKings Sportsbook, exclusive deals just for you. You can begin by depositing as little as $5 into your Sportsbook account. Uh, make sure the first bet is for $5 or more on any game, like this coming weekend. You've got LSU minus 2.5 against Florida State. Uh, Utah giving 6.5 at home against Florida. They're they're going to wake up. They're going to know what happened last year in week one. Here's the kicker, though. On any game, $5 or more, not only do you get to cash winnings from your bet, you'll also instantly pocket 200 bucks in bonus bets, and that's win or lose. Those bonus bets, they roll in as a eight separate $25 bonus bets. So you've got plenty of chances to up your game. 
Terms and conditions apply. You've got to be 21 or older in a legal betting state. Gambling problem, 1-800-889-9789. Outkick.com slash bet is where you go if you're ready to place your bets, ready to play. Now is the time to claim the offer and check out even more deals. That's the place to do it with our partnered sportsbooks. Outkick.com slash bet. So we we started out 2-0 on the parlay. We're going well. Things were looking good. Feeling good. Week zero, college football's back. Yeah. Games actually matter. Halfway through the day. Felt really good, Hutton. And then the first half line, you know, that was peeking around the corner at us with USC against San Jose State. It was a real kick in the crotch, the start of this game. <laughs> this I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I hate, hate, hate when the two picks that you are most confident in are the ones, or one pick, that does not come through for you. I was probably on the confidence meter. Good call by you, Hutton, on San Diego State, minus two and a half. That probably would have been my least confident pick. That was the best game. Of the day. Best game of the day. Yeah. Timmy B. Tim Brando was on the call that game for FS1, who we have on later in the show. Notre Dame was probably second to the least confident okay. I was, minus okay. 20 and a half, but that easily covered. I'm thinking USC, Caleb Williams going back-to-back. Heisman's attempting to do that. They're going to jump all over the San Jose State Spartans. They're on the Pac-12 network, which no one can see, so they're pumped up about that. (laughs) Real national TV audience on that Pac-12 network. I'm thinking Caleb Williams is going to come out. He's going to roll these guys. Huge stats. Easily be up by more than 17 points at halftime. That doesn't hit for us. And then Vanderbilt, who I was high on all week. 63-10. to They won at Hawaii a year ago. They take a 21-point lead in the second half. At that point, there was an hour delay for Lightning. And I'm thinking, man. It was longer than that. I think it was an hour and 42 minutes. We're coasting at that point. Yeah. And then, no. Disaster. (laughs) Disaster in the form of Timmy Chang as the head coach's air raid offense. And Vandy can't stop them. They win by a touchdown, 35-28 to in that game. So... The first Chutton parlay of the college football season is unfortunately an L, but we were two and two on our picks. That's right. We're not going to brag about that, though. We want to hit all of it. Yeah, we want the parlay. But yeah, we're two and two, so we're even money. And uh, we'll have it again uh, later this week going into week one, where there are some interesting lines there. Looking at the DraftKings uh, sportsbook spreads here, outkick.com slash bet. We got um, on a couple already. Six and a half. Again, I'm confused by the six and a half for Utah at home. I think Utah is ready to put a beat down on Florida. But I thought this last year. I did too. I thought this last year. Um, and then I also look at the quarterback situation at Florida, and I think I thought that last year. You know, you've got Richardson, who couldn't earn the starting job previously. Now they're rolling him out and put on a show. The who SEC is, line play is what travels. Well, who is Graham Mertz? That, to me, is the biggest question facing Florida this entire year. Is he the guy who was the number one pocket passer coming out of high school in America that just got into a bad offense with Paul Christ and, and underperformed and he's about to have a breakout year in Billy Napier's Man. offense? Or is he, which is the more likely scenario, the Graham Mertz that we saw at Wisconsin, which under-delivered, was very mediocre in his time there. I, that, to me, is really going to be the tell of the entire season for the Florida Gators. Hutton, I'm with you. I thought a year ago that Utah, with that physical offense, was going to go in there and just roll Florida. It was a great game, but Florida wins in the swamp. I, I feel like Utah should win this game again this year by more than a touchdown. But They should. That line is six and a half for a reason. And you know, it, it doesn't 
it hasn't affected that that performance last year. It hasn't affected Utah going on and rolling to win, you know, the Pac-12, which has been, and this is going to be a good it beat USC twice. You know, it's going to be a good conference of of football this year too. Um, the, Utah at home though, six and a half is one I'm playing already. I'm laying the points in this, and I feel almost stupid for doing that on a Monday, but I think uh, I think I think that people will remember the Florida matchup last year. And I think Utah does as well. Two games I got my eye on on Thursday. That one and another road underdog that I think may pull off a big win in their head coach's first game at the school. Nebraska is a a six-and-a-half-point underdog at Minnesota. Um, I think Jeff Sims is pretty good at Georgia Tech. Didn't have a lot of Mm. great players around him, but he transfers. He's the starter now at Nebraska. I think that Scott Frost was just horrifically bad at leading that program for whatever reason, one of the biggest mysteries out there. Matt Rule's a good college coach. Um, it's, it's game one. It's year one. I'm not expecting a ton from Nebraska, but I would not be shocked if they went to Minnesota and won that, won that game outright. Hutton, I, I'm leaning Utah. Not going to be shocked if Florida, as you said, line play travels. The, the athletes of the SEC travels. Yeah, and that's, uh, that, that can help them. I, I, I would not be surprised at all. If I if I end up taking two money line wins with the road underdog by slightly less than a touchdown on the road with both Florida and Nebraska, how do you feel? If you're about, looking for the long odds. How do you feel about Clemson going into this year? They're uh, a twelve and a half point favorite in Atlanta against Duke on Monday, a week from tonight. I'm thinking about the Blue Devils there with the points. I think um, if Cade Klubnick. New offensive coordinator the last coming over from TCU. Yeah, I'm thinking about the game in the K- bowl, too. Cade Klubnick. I'm, not, I'm thinking less about that and more about what is it going to look like now that they've got a new coordinator coming in. This, to me, is takeoff point now, one way or the other. Unleash. For, uh, for, for Dabo Sweeney and his whole program. They never go outside the family. Now the fact that they've, they've gone outside the fan, family with uh, – I'm blanking on the name of the TCU offensive coordinator they hired. Riley, right? Yeah, yeah Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Lincoln Riley's brother. Um, I, if they Garrett Riley, Garrett Riley. Thank you. I kept wanting to say Kendall Bryles, and I'm like, that's a different family member of a different that, offensive system. Yeah. Uh, so yes, thank you, Garrett Riley. But bringing in Garrett Riley, I think, is a great step in the right direction uh, for a very incestuous program. And I mean that in a, in a nice way. Uh, incest is not usually meant as a compliment, <laughs> but I mean it as a compliment Loyal. because of Clemson's success. The, it is a program that somehow is able to convince players to not go on recruiting visits if they want to stay committed to Clemson with everything else going on. They keep it in the family, and that's been very successful for Dabo Sweeney. This is one of the first times they've gone outside that family, but they needed an injection of new ideas offensively. Kate Klubnick, I know everyone at Clemson thinks is the real deal. We're going to find out with this new offense. I don't, to answer your question, I don't know what to think about Clemson because I want to see this. I want to see quarterback paired with new offensive Garrett Riley the, and how that looks. And we get to see that Monday night yeah, on Monday Labor night. Day night against night. Duke. And uh, Ryan Leaf, who joins us later this week, is calling that game next Monday. The, uh, the thing, too, about Clemson. So Davo Sweeney got rid of Billy Napier and then brought in Chad Morris, and it completely revamped that offense that year. This is a decade ago or so, maybe longer than that. 
Uh, now they're coming off a year they were 48th, looking at the number, 48th in total offense and 30th in the nation in scoring. That, you know, that is why that they've tasked this uh, with someone outside of the coaching bubble that we're used to seeing there. Meanwhile, some of the, the, the coaches elsewhere that have departed, which is also rare for Dabo's coaching staff, not high expectations at Virginia, that's for sure. And then Oklahoma's also got quite the, the steep hill to climb uh, considering their schedule upcoming in the final year of the Big 12. So there's a couple of huge neutral site games. The neutral site games have been cut down a little bit. Some. As opposed to years past. We're still going to see some of them, but gone down a little bit. Right here in Nashville, you got Tennessee and Virginia in one of them. The big one everyone's going to talk about is LSU-Florida State, rightfully so. That's going to be in Orlando. I think that North Carolina, South Carolina, on Saturday night in Charlotte, yeah. right there on the state line between those two, has a chance to be – this is a, uh, a Dukes-Mayo Bowl rematch of a game played in that same stadium, if you remember, where South Carolina upset Mac Brown's North Carolina team a couple of seasons ago and got the Mayo bath. They're going right back to that stadium where the Panthers play and going head-to-head. North Carolina is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. I think this is a huge swing game for both. Florida State, LSU, that's a launching point for a college football playoff team. I've said on the show before, I'll say it again, if Florida State wins, they're in the playoff. I think even losing to Clemson or losing that one game, they're going to be in the college football playoff with that neutral site win over LSU. I don't think North Carolina or South Carolina have any chances at the college football playoff, but I think the winner of that game has a chance to have a great season. Well, And it starts Saturday night, and that's close to a pick between those two teams. And, and think about what it would mean just from the rivalry perspective of what South Carolina last did against Clemson. And then, you know, they play Notre Dame. They bounce forward and go into the next year uh, with all the momentum right now that they're riding and then knock off North Carolina to begin the season. That's a big, that's a big momentum swing for them. Absolutely. Because they, they picked up last year where they left off two years ago. And now a chance to carry it over even more with Rattler. Right? This we'll, we'll learn a lot about him too, Spencer Rattler in this game. Which which version are we getting? Yeah, Drake the guy May, that can't hit the broadside of a barn, or the guy that looks like an NFL prospect. There's no questions about Drake May and him being an NFL prospect and a great quarterback. The question for Drake May is now: Can he carry that entire North Carolina program on his back to good things this year? Because they lost a lot, and for Spencer Rattler is be consistent. Yeah. Can we see some consistency from him? If that was, if there's a carryover effect from the end of last season with what he looked like, watch out for that South Carolina team this year. If not, and he comes out and he's up and down again and looks like the Spencer Rattler we saw for the majority of last year, South Carolina is very much a middle-of-the-pack-to-below SEC team that's going to be fighting for bowl eligibility this season. Kenny Dillingham, uh, head coach at Arizona State, fighting just to keep everyone focused on the regular season because they're not going to have a postseason. Uh, Arizona State self-imposing a uh, postseason ban on the football program, uh, a one-year ban, and that's amid the NCAA investigation that uh, is, is taking a look at the possible violations that took place under former head coach Herm Edwards and his staff. And this is a ban that they announced yesterday. The whole fall camp, gearing up for the season, all of the distractions, all of the discussion about 
Big 12, Pac-12, what's going to happen? Who, where are we playing? All of that's taken place. You're practiced and in, in, in focused on the regular season. And a day before you're kicking things off for your game week and really zeroed in and locked in, by the way, guys, we're not going to be able to compete for postseason play. That's because the university is and the athletic department stepping in uh, to uh, self-impose this in an attempt to lessen the blow of whatever the NCAA may bring the hammer with, however you want to define that, based on whatever happened with Herm Edwards, who's not even here. Um, this is awful and cheap. One-year bowl ban is, is going to do what in terms of what the NCAA has in store? Uh, for, and and why, for punish, the, why punish the current athletes if you're Arizona oh, State or anyone else? And when they're, when they're doing this, too. Yeah, literally it, literally going into week one. It's stupid. Uh, by the way, quarterback for Arizona State going into week one, Jaden Rashada, the guy involved in all the drama at Florida that Back left his, his after arriving university. because he did not get the money that he was promised from the Gator Collective. Now he's the starting quarterback at Arizona State. Coming up, we kick off hour number two. Michelle Tafoya will join us. We'll dive into a lot of topics, including Sage Still, Al Michaels, and more. That's straight ahead on Hot Mike.